Alcoholics Coach Spins here, releasing the audio version of our most recent Mock Draft 3.1. If you get a chance, go over to YouTube and check it out. But for now, just enjoy the audio version as we bring you picks 1 through 30. Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One. We are two weeks away from the NBA Draft Lottery and finally getting an order set for who is going to win the Victor Weminyama sweepstakes. But before we get to that point, I think it's worth doing one more mock draft where we spin the Tankathon Simulator. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to our channel for a lot more NBA Draft-related content coming soon. So we fire off the Tankathon machine one last time to simulate the lottery and the results. Pretty staggering changes right here. The Charlotte Hornets jump to number one while both Utah and Dallas come into the top four. So we start with Victor Weminyama going to Charlotte. And look, there's very little doubt that Weminyama is the top player in this draft class and is going to be a superstar in the NBA if he can stay healthy. A dominant defender, the way that he protects the rim, standing 7'4 with an 8-foot wingspan, and how he moves his feet in space is a combination that we've never seen before. He can do so many different things and play with scheme versatility that not a lot of big men have. He'll play the 4 or the 5 on the defensive end. And offense, he uses his athleticism, his length, and his overall fluidity to continue to make an impact in transition. In the half court, really good player at finishing and catching near the basket. He uses his size to his advantage, does project well as a pick and roll finisher. But this entire season for him for Metropolitans has been about exploring the space as a number one option. I do believe that he can anchor a team's offense down the line. He's going to make a fantastic fit next to LaMelo Ball if the Hornets are fortunate enough to win the lottery just as they did here in this Tankathon mock and have Victor Weminyama join them as the new face of their franchise. While three teams with the top four odds fell out of this top four in this mock, Scoot Henderson goes to San Antonio, one of the fortunate teams, to hang on to their draft position. And Scoot in San Antonio is a perfect fit, in my opinion. He's a six foot two, maybe six three point guard who excels in transition and is a clear number one option for an NBA team from the moment he enters. Fantastic at getting to the basket. He's incredibly shifty really crafty at finishing near the rim with both hands and just has this fun play style that allows him to bend himself around defenders and knife his way through traffic to get to the basket. Scoot's game outside of the rim and his athletic tools is drastically underappreciated. He's got great touch on his pull-up jumper, particularly in the mid-range, and with a little bit more work and consistency, he can stretch that out to three. It's one of the weaknesses in his game right now, but if he continues to work at it, I have full faith that it's going to get there. He's also a fantastic creator for others out of the pick and roll. He uses the threat of his pull-up jumper and all of his athletic tools of getting to the rim to force the defenders to guard him as soon as he comes inside of the arc, and that allows him to just make the right overall play and find open teammates. He doesn't have the deepest bag as an isolation scorer. He's got to find ways to be a little bit more versatile on the defensive end of the floor. But he has three-level scoring potential to go with elite feel and intangibles. I have a really strong belief in Scoot Henderson as the next best player in this draft behind Victor Weminyama. 
The Utah Jazz make the jump all the way up to number three overall, and I have them taking Amen Thompson, six foot seven athlete from the Overtime Elite program. I think people don't still understand just how elite of an athlete Amen Thompson is and the rim pressure and paint touches that he's going to provide a team on the offensive end of the floor. Dynamic in transition, has the ability to change speeds, obviously elite vertical burst, but how he goes from standstill to full speed drive and puts pressure at the rim is unlike anything I've seen from a prospect before. Now, Amen definitely has his challenges. He's not a great jump shooter in any type of facet and doesn't score unless he gets to the basket but his combination of size athleticism and fantastic feel as a playmaker gives me a lot of belief in him as a number one overall option you can continue to develop as a jump shooter the intangibles the feel and the physical tools that he brings to the table definitely makes him a top four pick in this draft and the right fit for utah What a coup it would be for the Dallas Mavericks to move into the top four. I think that there is a pretty firm top four in this draft class, and Brandon Miller out of Alabama is somebody who has recently been in discussion for the number two overall spot in this draft. Now, I don't necessarily have Miller close to that spot, but I do believe in him as a top four guy. He's a six foot nine shooter who can do it on all three levels. Didn't operate in the mid-range a ton this year at Alabama, but that's due more to Nate Oates, the Alabama head coach, and his tendencies to play an analytical style. Miller is a knockdown shooter who can get hot in a hurry, but improved so much during the season as somebody who can attack the basket, make plays for himself, and for others with the ball in his hands. He's got an incredibly high ceiling on the offensive end of the floor, and for that reason, he's definitely going to go in the top four. I know the Detroit Pistons really wanted a top four pick, and in this mock, if they end up falling out of the top four, Jairus Walker is a hell of a consolation prize for them. He's the perfect fit for this Pistons team, both positionally and with the skill sets he brings to the table. Six foot eight with a seven two wingspan, thick frame, one of the younger players in this draft class, and a really good feel with his touch around the basket. Now, he just doesn't generate a ton of opportunities at the rim for himself but he's a really good athlete on the offensive end who can space the floor. Defense is really what you're drafting Jairus Walker for. He's an elite role player who's a Swiss Army knife on that end of the floor, moves his feet incredibly well in space, just so agile for somebody of his size, can guard up or down the lineup and play as a small ball five. People are going to be up or down on Walker based on their belief in his jump shot. I do think that it has a legitimate chance of being one of his signature skills at the NBA level, and if it is, he's a really good two-way force. Creeping up on Walker lately has been Taylor Hendricks out of UCF. I have him going sixth to the Houston Rockets. This is a fantastic team and positional fit because the Rockets just need a little bit more juice on the defensive end of the floor while providing floor spacing. And I don't want to oversimplify Taylor Hendricks' game to being kind of a 3-and-D type of player, but at six foot nine with elite athletic tools and good length, the ability to knock down shots on the offensive floor is a huge plus. Defensively, he's very good at moving his feet in space, but as the year went on, he proved himself to be one of the most impactful help defenders that you could find in all of college basketball, protecting the rim, really doing a nice job of understanding rotations that's asked of him off the corners. I don't know if Hendricks is as much of a small ball five in the way that Jairus Walker is, but much more comfortable as a three or a four, and much more comfortable creating for himself or doing something with the ball in his hands on the offensive end. 
Hendricks is young. He's quickly rising on the scene. But we know Ime Yudoka, the new Rockets head coach, loves to have these defensive pieces in place as well as good athletes he can work with and develop. I think that this would be a slam dunk fit for team and for player. The Portland Trailblazers get another fantastic athlete in Cam Whitmore at 7th overall. They're at a flexion point with their franchise because nobody knows what they're going to do with Damian Lillard. They have a lot of young pieces on this roster and a superstar who definitely needs to compete sooner than later. But I don't believe that you can take anything other than the best player available if you are Portland. And right now that's Cam Whitmore if he's still on the board at number 7. Six foot six athlete with a rugged frame. Fantastic vertical burst, but he is a powerhouse who never gets knocked off of balance through contact and loves to initiate it. He has some areas he's got to clean up on the offensive end of the floor with quick decision making and how he play makes for others, but he is a bully in every sense of the word who can play the two through four positions reliably at the NBA level. Over the last 18 months, Whitmore has really developed a jump shot, both in terms of a catch-and-shoot one and in how he creates for himself off the bounce. That has raised, raised his ceiling significantly as an offensive player. He's got a lot to clean up on the defensive end, but he's young. He's only 18 years old, missed a lot of time in high school and the beginning of the season here for Villanova. Really high ceiling for a guy like Whitmore. I have a hard time envisioning him falling out of the top 10. The Orlando Magic have picks 8 and 11, and this is where we get into a guard or wing heavy part of the draft now that both Walker and Hendricks are off the board. I think Orlando takes the upside swing here for a guy like Asor Thompson first and foremost. Asor, fantastic numbers, a really good playmaker for the overtime elite program. Still a very good athlete, not quite the top tier, top shelf guy that his twin brother Amen is, but by all accounts, I think an Andre Iguodala type of player who does a little bit of everything except being a consistent shooter. I love Asor's upside on the defensive end, both as an on-ball defender and a helper, and he did improve a lot as a shooter down the stretch run of the season. If he can keep going in that regard, he's going to be a fantastic fit in Orlando next to Franz Wagner, Paolo Bancaro, and all the other young pieces they have. The Indiana Pacers are in a tough spot here at number nine. They would have loved to have had either Hendricks or Jarris Walker positionally, but I think Anthony Black just adding another high field playmaker to the stakes can allow the Pacers to develop a lot of different types of lineups. Black is a six foot seven, maybe six foot eight point guard who loves to defend at the point of attack and has positional versatility. I think that makes him an ideal fit on the defensive end of the floor long term next to Tyrese Halliburton. On the offensive end, Black is a good connector piece. He can play that lead guard position in a system that's surrounded by three-point shooting. We know that the Pacers are trying to develop that type of system. And he's an underrated athlete in terms of a guy who can get to the rim, play at different speeds, and has a tight enough handle to put pressure on it in the half court. Arkansas's half court spacing this year was abysmal, and it really made Black a difficult evaluation for scouts in trying to figure out how much of his scoring in the half court is based on his tools not being prepared and how much of it is on Arkansas. He's one of the best players remaining on the board, and at the end of the day, the combination of size, feel, playmaking ability rarely fails. At 10 for the Washington Wizards, I've got Kaysen Wallace out of Kentucky. Hard to project what the Wizards are going to do since they don't have a general manager right now, but I love Kaysen Wallace 
for the grittiness that he brings to the floor and how he competes on the defensive end. I think the Wizards are missing that piece on the defensive end of the floor, particularly in the backcourt. Somebody who can take the top matchup away from Bradley Beal while being able to play next to him on the offensive end. Wallace as a defensive savant moves his feet really well, strong body and strong chest, and just loves to compete against the best players available. Cason Wallace is also one of those Kentucky guards who always seems to outperform themselves at the NBA level. Where they're drafted doesn't always indicate what the offensive upside is going to be, and I believe that's the case here for Wallace as well. At Kentucky, he played early in the season in an off-ball role, showed that he can be a catch-and-shoot threat, something that would help him a lot in this Wizards offense, while also being able to play the point, run with a 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio, and have some feel in the mid-range. Orlando is back on the clock at 11 after taking Asura Thompson, more of a slasher playmaker type. I think Grady Dick is the absolute right fit for them here. A three-point shooting specialist at 6'8", who does compete on the defensive end of the floor. I think he's a heavily targeted player, not a poor defender, but someone who's always going to be driven at. If the Magic can develop a long, switchy, lanky roster that allows him to blanket him at the point of attack, that can do a lot of positive things. But I think next to Bancaro and Wagner, they definitely need somebody who can come off of different sets, dribble handoffs, back screens, and know how to relocate around the perimeter as well as move without the basketball. Grady Dick is a fantastic team piece for the modern NBA. I've struggled with knowing what to do for the Oklahoma City Thunder at 12th overall, but I'm going to go with Leonard Miller out of the G League Ignite. Expect him to be somebody who rises late on a lot of boards because of his natural tools and athleticism. Six foot eleven with maybe a 7'2", 7'3", wingspan. Natural feel and touch around the basket. He's a left-handed driver who's able to score around the rim with both hands. Loves a Euro step to get back to his right while driving left. Makes a huge impact in transition. I'm a little bit worried about him as a shooter, but with all the defensive tools, the athleticism, and how quickly this guy is learning, he fits the Oklahoma City mold to a T. I don't think this is a reach at number 12. At the later part of the lottery, this is where things start to get a little bit tricky in projecting fit for teams as well as best player available. I got Keontae George here from Baylor going to the Toronto Raptors. After a recent rewatch of George's season, I've fallen a little bit back in love with him as a scoring potential guy. I think he's got to clean up a bunch of habits both on court and off court in order to get the most out of who he is as a player, but shows real touch around the basket, has a great pull-up jumper in the mid-range and from three, and is a little bit underrated of a playmaker for others. A lot of the complaints that I have about George as a passer come from how he predetermines some of his reads at Baylor, but if he has time and patience in the lane, he has shown that he can make some live dribble passes as well. The Raptors are a team that's also at a flexion point in their roster build. They need offensive players and scoring at the highest degree of any team in the NBA. Now, they've built their roster in the past on length, switchability, and defensive play, but I think injecting a little bit of something different, somebody who can just go out there and fill it up, is what the Raptors may need. At the late lottery here, Keontae George can be that guy. Nobody seems to know what to do with Arkansas combo guard Nick Smith. Six foot five with a six eight wingspan, long and lanky guard with great touch near the basket. 
and supreme scoring upside. He had a rocky season at Arkansas. The tape does not do justice what type of player he was at the high school level and what he might be capable of if he gets healthy. He was battling a knee injury all year, rested and sat for long stretches. But when he was healthy at the tail end of SEC play, he was averaging 20 a game while shooting 40% from three. His touch in the mid-range is something that always has stood out to me about his game. Now, he's got a thin, wiry frame, really does not know how to defend at this point, might have some struggles at the point of attack. But offensively, if you can get a guy who can create for himself, has that real jitter in his step to get to the mid-range into the basket, and is a really good catch-and-shoot threat, that's the type of guy you want playing next to other star players. And if you're the New Orleans Pelicans and you have Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson already, another backcourt guy who can play on-ball and off-ball is a fantastic fit for this roster. It's the right spot to upside Swindon Smith. Now that we're outside of the lottery, I think it's upside swinging time. The Atlanta Hawks are another team that's a challenge to project because they have so many depth pieces on their roster and a a real decision-making point on what to do with John Collins and find ways to modernize this roster around Trey Young. Gigi Jackson is just the highest upside player in this draft remaining, the youngest player overall. What he was able to do as a scorer, the polish he showed in isolation and attacking the basket to his right hand, the progression over his pull-up jumper over the last year or so, incredibly remarkable. I do believe that Gigi Jackson can become a 25-point-per-game scorer in the NBA, and I'd have a hard time envisioning him sliding all the way to the end of the first round. But there are some intel concerns with a guy like Jackson who hasn't worked his hardest on the defensive end of the floor or fit into a team concept as a freshman in South Carolina. After getting Amen Thompson with the third overall pick, the Jazz are back on the clock here at 16. I've got them taking Bryce Sensabaugh out of Ohio State. They need three-point shooting and floor spacing if they're going to have Amen as their number one overall option. Sensabaugh is very raw on the defensive end of the floor and has inconsistencies as a playmaker for others. But at the very least, he has fantastic touch as a shooter, and that can allow him to play in a spot-up role in the NBA. However, in the right system, one like Utah that's going to be a little bit patient before they start trying to compete for championships, Sensabaugh can explore the space as a three-level scorer. He's got a real physical frame, a thick body for a freshman, and was the top scorer per minute of all freshmen in college basketball. There's a huge offensive ceiling for Sensabaugh to continue to try to tap into. He needs a lot of work on the defensive end of the floor and some refinement in a lot of ways on offense, but I love his aggression, how he attacks to get fouled, and the shooting touch. This is a great value pick in the mid part of the first round. If LeBron James's drafting record from teams he's been on is any indication, he falls in love with guys who are winners during the NCAA tournament. I think Jordan Hawkins fits that profile while also fitting a need for a team that definitely wants to keep their championship window open a little bit longer. They could use a floor spacer like Hawkins, and he is fantastic at constantly being in motion, darting off of screens. We saw LeBron James pop offensively while playing with a guy like Ray Allen, and obviously Hawkins is not a Ray Allen type of prospect, but he fills a similar role with how he's always moving and has a lightning quick release. I wish there was a little bit more to Hawkins' game inside the arc. He does compete and try hard on the defensive end of the floor, but he's a smaller combo guard who's not necessarily big enough to be a wing. If I'm the Lakers brass, I would absolutely love the element that he would bring to their offense. 
Heat culture, heat culture, heat culture. We hear about it all the time. They want winners who are poised in the postseason, have a little bit of competitive streak to them, and aren't going to be broken by pressure. Jalen hood Shafino was the most impressive freshman by my vantage point as it goes for not being rattled in big situations. Six foot five, maybe six six, big point guard who loves to operate out of the pick and roll. Just the right decision maker. And I love guys who just make the, the accurate basketball play every time. But Shafino's great at pulling up in the mid-range if going to his right. And he makes fantastic passes and creations for others. Would be a great pick and roll partner for a guy like Bam Adebayo. Particularly knowing he's going to have the floor well spaced for him in Miami. Now, Huchifino is a very good on-ball defender, but he does have areas to improve on offense. Not a great finisher at the rim, nor a three-point shooter at this point. If he can improve one of those two areas, he's going to be a really good high-volume playmaker in the NBA. For the Golden State Warriors at 19, getting just a high-value role player is something that I think they should go for. They've swung for the fences in the last few drafts, and now is the time where they could use a little bit more depth, particularly on the wing, somebody who can play the three or the four. That's Chris Murray, Keegan Murray's twin brother, who had a really good season in Iowa. Inconsistent from a shooting perspective, but over 40% from three and unguarded catch-and-shoot attempts. I think that that makes him project really well as a shooter and a floor spacer. Definitely not as versatile as a guy like Keegan, but very, very simple in his game. Can finish when he gets to the basket. Has a little bit of the, a crack to him. Really solid role player. Would love to see him fit in a team like Golden State. If Derek Lively falls all the way to the 20th overall selection, the Houston Rockets should be holding a party because now they've gotten Lively and a guy like Taylor Hendricks to solidify their defense and make them a massive part of the roster. I understand that there's positional overlap with both of these picks for Jabari Smith and Alper and Shangoon, but I think the opportunity to add impact defenders and then figure out which of those four pieces work best alongside each other long-term is what the Rockets should do this offseason. Lively, very simple game on the offensive end of the floor. He's all catch and finish, catch and dunk near the basket. Doesn't do anything outside of that to put pressure on a defense. So he's going to need some high field playmakers to be able to put him in positions to succeed. But what he does on the defensive end in locking down the rim is exactly what this Rockets team will need. I would love to see him and Shangun play that offense for defense role for the Rockets as they both continue to grow up and mature. The Brooklyn Nets have two picks in a row here at 21 and 22. They need somebody who can collapse defenses and get into the lane. I have a lot of faith in Kobe Bufkin out of Michigan being that guy. He's starting to rise up draft boards as we get into the final month and a half of this draft cycle. And he came on in a big way down the stretch for the Michigan Wolverines, taking over as their number one option on the offensive end of the floor. This is a guy that doesn't really have many holes in his game. He just hasn't put together the consistency of showcasing everything on a night-to-night basis. He started to do so towards the end of the season. He's a lefty who can knife his way to the basket, plays at different speeds, finishes with either hand. He was a 70% finisher at the rim this year. It's an unbelievable number for a 6'4 guard. Does have some playmaking ability for others. Really good shooter from the perimeter and contests a lot of shots and cares on the defensive end of the floor. That's where his length comes into play. I'm a huge fan of Bufkin. I can see him rising late in this process to even go as high as in the lottery. 
But if he's still available here in the 20s, the Brooklyn Nets would be a fantastic home to let him develop into potentially becoming a number one option. Right on Bufkin's heels, I can see the Nets going with a three-point shooter, another wing floor spacer that'll allow them to shop veterans like Seth Curry and Joe Harris this summer to get a little bit more youth back in return. Whitehead had a fantastic season at Duke from a catch-and-shoot standpoint, but I know he's capable of so much more. Coming into this draft cycle, he was one of, if not my favorite players coming out of the high school level, six foot six scorer who loved to create for himself. He suffered an injury in the preseason, and athletically, he didn't quite look the same. If he can regain form, particularly with a healthy offseason, this is a guy that can really pop and turn into a potential 20-point-per-game scorer. There are some field concerns for him in creation for others, but the touch that he has off the bounce, both from three and self-created stepbacks and in the mid-range off tough jumpers, makes it really hard for me to believe that Whitehead doesn't have a future in the NBA as a specialty scorer. Our second Michigan Wolverine in three picks, Jet Howard is a six foot eight three-point shooting specialist with an incredibly pure stroke and the ability to create his own a little bit off the dribble. I have some, some questions for Howard about how he puts pressure on the rim, his athleticism, and what position he guards defensively, but if you're the Portland Trailblazers, you really can't afford to pass up a guy who has this type of movement shooting potential, size, and the ability to space the floor around Damian Lillard or some of the younger guys that they could choose to build around in the future. Howard was fantastic for opening up the playbook this year for his father, Jawan, at Michigan, and he has shown a little bit of secondary playmaking. I don't think he's a guy that you want to run the pick and roll in high volume, but off of dribble handoffs or secondary actions, he can get into the lane and make the right decision. An all-offensive player, but a good fit for Portland. After exiting in the first round of the NBA playoffs, the Sacramento Kings probably need another front court defender or slasher, and C.D. Sissoko out of the G League Ignite program is one of my favorite players still available at this point. Six foot five, six six, maybe even six seven now as he's continued to grow throughout the year. Still 18 years of age when he was competing at the Ignite and just turned 19 in the offseason. Few players improved more as a three-point shooter this year, going from 23% a year ago to 33 this year. I hope that that is sustainable, continues over the long term, because I love the field that he plays with, the ball in his hands, and how tenacious of a multi-positional defender he is and can be. This is not the first time that Colby Jones has been my selection here for the Memphis Grizzlies at 25. He just strikes me as a very Grizzlies type of player, a stat sheet stuffer who's a really high basketball IQ, can play on ball or off ball. I'd love to see the way that he fits as a utility role player on this roster. Six foot five with good positional size and a very smooth, clean mechanically jump shot. This is not a guy who shot the ball well before this season, but the form has always been really good for a guy like Colby. It was just a matter of time before those shots went in. You can run him off so many different types of actions, and as I said earlier, play him on ball or off ball. I love the pace, the control. He's got a very strong, slow-driving game to him. It allows him to get to his spots and bully guys around, as well as elite touch on the interior. Jones is no slouch on the defensive end either. He impacts games when he decides he wants to lock down opposing players and can be one of the most well-rounded guys in this draft class. I don't see a lot of star potential for him, but just being a versatile, well-rounded role player is something the Memphis Grizzlies always look for. I think Jones would be a fantastic fit next to John Moran. 
The Pacers failed to get their front court four man when they were drafting in the top 10 earlier, so we're going to have them take it here at 26 in Noah Clowney out of Alabama. Not necessarily my favorite prospect, but I do understand the appeal. Playing at 18 years old, he blocked a ton of shots on the defensive end of the floor, has real fluid movement patterns for a guy who's about 6 foot 10 and absolutely can shoot the ball if he continues to put in the time to become a little bit more consistent on that end. Shooting touch at 6'10 with length, athleticism, and rim protection traits is hard to come by, particularly for a guy like Clowney, who is somewhat switchable on the perimeter and knows his role to be able to just spot up and space the floor in the corners. I think this would be a really good fit for the Pacers. They also have pick number 29 and the opportunity to add another young player to this core. Remember, the Charlotte Hornets drafted Victor Wembenyama with the first overall pick in this mock draft, so why not take his teammate Bilal Koulibaly, who is starting to raise up draft boards as one of the top, if not the top, international guys outside of Wembenyama. Koulibaly has a lot of different things that he can do. He's shown some shooting touch from three-point range, a decent amount of playmaking, but more than anything, really impactful defense. He's long, he's athletic, he can play above the rim, and he knows how to guard multiple different positions. If you can get him out in the open floor, his offense is going to pop, but I think that there's a lot that he can continue to tap into on the defensive end, which is why a team should be looking to take him in the first round. Here's another name who I'm starting to hear a lot of buzz about, Bobby Klintman from Wake Forest. The 6'10 freshman has a lot of natural tools that teams are looking for in the NBA. He's declared for the draft and is testing the waters, but I do think that some team would be wise to give him either a promise in the first round or the early part of the second. 6'10 with his smooth shooting ability is hard to come by. He knows how to relocate on the perimeter. There's some small mechanical things I'd want him to continue to clean up, and almost all of his offensive arsenal right now is based off of his catch and shoot ability but I do believe in him being a multi-positional wing defender down the line because of some of those length and athletic traits he does a good job of contesting shots moves his feet in space has a decent frame to continue to add some strength into and with those long arms he does alter or block a lot of shots Clintman is a real long-term upside play but the Utah Jazz with their third pick in this first round are really well positioned to take that risk. The Pacers are back here at 29, and this is the right opportunity to go for one of the highest ceiling players remaining in Max Lewis out of Pepperdine, six foot seven wing, who really played a number one option this year for Pepperdine. I don't know if that's the best usage of Lewis in the NBA, but it's at least nice to know that he can create his own shot and has shown some comfort in doing so in the past. Springy athlete when he has a runway, not great feel in terms of a creator for others, but the ability to space the floor, his pristine catch-and-shoot form, has me really excited about how he can play as a catch-and-shoot guy at the next level. If you're the Indiana Pacers, you want wings who can do that at the very least, and hopefully be able to add something more. Lewis doesn't put a ton of pressure on the rim with the ball in his hands. He's much more of a isolation, slowdown creator who loves to play in that mid-range area or off of step-back threes. But I have started to come around on Lewis and understanding that the upside that he's shown this year at Pepperdine is not going to allow him to fall all the way out of the first round. There's still a lot to clean up, but if you're the Pacers and this is your third first-round pick, it's worth the upside swing. 
And with the last pick of the first round, I've got the Los Angeles Clippers taking Rayon Rupert from the New Zealand Breakers. Six foot six, maybe six seven, with a seven three wingspan. And he uses every inch of that on the defensive end of the floor to pester opposing ball handlers. Rupert is super, super raw on both ends of the floor, but he was able to cobble himself a starting role and playing as a role player for a championship caliber team in the NBL. He needs to work a ton on his offensive game. There's been some flashes of improved catch and shoot impact, but he's nowhere near being consistent enough to knock that down and be the staple of his game. He grew up playing a point guard, which is something I normally love, but I don't think that he was ever really great at getting to the basket and scoring for himself. Rupert is probably two years away from coming to the NBA. I'm starting to drop him down later to the end of the first round, or maybe even the earlier part of the second because of how raw he is, but great role player upside exists.